Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 9. I'm not sure if you've realized this, we have spent uh, all of 2022 in the book of Proverbs, uh, and of course, one psalm a month, but other than that, beginning in January, we started in Proverbs 1, and those first nine chapters in Proverbs constitute the introductory section uh, to the whole book. Uh, Proverbs 1 to 9 is an introduction to the life of wisdom, and tonight we bring this introduction to the book of Proverbs to a close. Uh, And here we will see some repeated themes. Proverbs chapter 9, we'll read this chapter in its entirety. Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town, saying, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight." Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. And so, do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's go before the Lord and ask that He uh, illuminate the reading, but especially the preaching of His Word. Our gracious God and Father, You have told us that uh, if we come to You, You who possess all wisdom would graciously and gladly give us wisdom from on high. And so as we sit under Your Word and at Your feet, we pray that You would give us the wisdom, the insight to understand the call that is placed before us that we would choose rightly and live. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. For those of you who are familiar with uh, authors such as Wendell Berry or William Faulkner or even Charles Dickens, uh, you will notice that there is a recurring theme in so many of their novels. Uh, Not so much, uh, not just in terms of theme, but also in terms of recurring characters. I remember just a few months ago reading um, 
It wasn't Jaber Crow, but it was another one of Wendell Berry's stories that takes place in the fictional, fictional town of Port William. And what might be a major character in one story is a bit character in another novel. And what might be a minor character in uh, one of William Faulkner's stories, almost all set in Yachnapatalfa County, will show up in yet another story. Uh, I think we find something going on very similar here, that there is, we might call it a literary landscape to the book of Proverbs, where the same characters to which we have been introduced in these previous eight chapters all end up showing up uh, together and assembled in two, one of two different parties. Uh, whereas one previous chapter might focus on, for instance, the man who lacks heart or the man who lacks sense, and another chapter focusing on the simpleton. Here we find that all of these characters converge upon one of two dinner parties. And I think this is critical to see that chapter 9 is leading us to understand it is bringing to a close this introductory section of Proverbs and therefore laying the groundwork for understanding what true wisdom looks like as you make your way from chapter 10 and following the individual Proverbs that talk about the wise life. Think about these characters of Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly, of the various fools that we have encountered of several categories, the simpleton, the man who lacks understanding, and the scoffer, and then, of course, the wise man who fears the Lord. And so here in chapter 9, what we find are all these characters in the same town on the same evening, as it were, all attending one of two banquets, one offered by Lady Wisdom and another banquet offered right down the street by Dame Folly. And here, what is set before us is a path of which banquet we will attend. There's three things I'd like us to consider this evening. First, I would like us to consider wisdom's wedding banquet. We'll see that here in the first six verses. And then we'll see the counsel to the wise in verses 7 to 12, as there is a contrast between several of these figures who have been invited to their respective parties. And then finally in verses 13 to 18, we consider the other party down the street, that of Folly's death feast. So wisdom's wedding banquet, the counsel to the wise, and the death feast offered by Dame Folly. Well, you see here in these opening verses here, these first three verses, that Lady Wisdom has a bountiful banquet prepared for whoever will heed her call. So much focus and attention is given here in uh, this kind of grand scale event. This is not simply, you know, some type of uh, light snack dinner party. This is a massive feast on, uh, located on a massive estate. Notice the way in which her home is described. She has built her house. She has hewn seven pillars. You think of the old... Uh, uh, old Georgian porches in the antebellum south and these uh, massive colonnades. Uh, we, here we have a massive home, a mansion as it were, with slaughtered 
uh, f- uh, food that has been prepared. She has literally slaughtered her slaughter. There's a massive barbecue that is being laid out for all the invitees. The food and the wine have been specially prepared. Uh, the, the mixture of wine, you're not just getting sour grapes. It's kind of the best sangria on the market. The tables have been set. All the maid servants who have helped with the preparations are now sent out by Lady Wisdom now to invite whoever would come to the banquet to come. Uh, no, uh, there, there, there is no payment needed. There is no entrance to get into this party. There is no club fee. There is a rich bounty that is thrown in the local neighborhood and town, and everyone who wants to come can come. And here, as she has made her bountiful preparations, she offers life to whosoever will. Notice who it is that she addresses. It's not just the rich and the powerful. It's not even simply the wise. Here, she calls out from the heights of her building, of her uh, portico. She addresses a host of fools. To the simpleton, to the naive, to the man lacking in heart. Again, notice that these are particular characters that we've seen in these opening chapters in Proverbs. The simpleton who is what we might call the uncommitted. He doesn't know which way to go. Kind of footloose and fancy free. Doesn't have a care in the world. And yet wisdom is calling, saying, ah, that's, that is not wise to remain simple. It is a vice that can lead you to death. Turn to me and find wisdom. We see here the, the man who is lacking sense, as the ESV puts it quite literally, is the man who lacks heart. It's the very same figure that we saw in chapter 7, uh, that the adulteress and seductress had called Uh, from the streets to enter her home and be dragged down to the gates of death. Here this same figure arises. She calls out to him saying, turn from your ways. Turn and live. It's the language of repentance. Turn from the path of folly. These past things that you have done, come to me and you will find life. Again, I've mentioned this over and over again, but this is more than just kind of common sense wisdom like we're reading Aesop's fables or listening to some academic philosopher. The language here is salvific. Turn to me and live. Eat and drink wine and find life. It is the same language we find even in Isaiah. Come to me, anyone who thirsts. Come, eat and drink that your soul may live. Buy money without food and without price. Here wisdom makes that same call. And if you recall, even wisdom herself seems to be... uh, uh, There's more to wisdom than we reckon wisdom to be. If you recall us considering chapter 8 just last week. Oh, there's something there's something special about this character of wisdom who has been possessed by God himself from eternity past who was with the Lord himself from the founding of creation here this personified wisdom calls out to whoever would hear the call to be delivered from death and to feast on the bounty and riches of all that wisdom has to offer. 
Again, we see this is not simply common sense wisdom, but it is a wisdom that is oriented around a particular thing. Where the wisdom is rooted in one's own disposition to the Lord God of Israel. Do you fear Him? Or do you scoff at His Word? And that's why we see here in this middle section of this chapter a contrast between two different characters who have become the recipients of this call of Lady Wisdom. On the one hand, you have the wise man, anyone who, though once a simpleton, though once a fool, who actually takes the reproof and turns and heeds Lady Wisdom's voice is now called to be a wise man. And yet the one who hears the call and mocks it is said to be a scoffer. Again, as we've seen in these opening chapters of Proverbs, the scoffer is in some ways distinguished from the simpleton. The naive and uncommitted is the guy who who has not really picked which way he wants to go. The scoffer, however, is the man who is set in his ways and wants to go the route of folly and treats with utter disdain the path of wisdom and life. It's so interesting here that Though uh, Lady Wisdom calls out to the simpleton, there is now this encouragement, this, this warning given to the, to the one who brings correction, not to the simpleton, but to the scoffer. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets abused himself. Whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. One is perhaps reminded of our Lord's own statement in the Sermon on the Mount, do not cast your pearls before swine. That there are, in fact, people who are so dead set against wisdom that it is in fact unwise to give that scoffer any further counsel. What a dangerous position to be in. To have one who is so hardened in their ways that the wisest thing that can be given to those around him is stop correcting him. He has made his decision is on the path to death and nothing will stop him, get out of the way. Let him have his just, just desserts. What a stark contrast that is between the scoffer and the wise man who when he hears the reproof and the rebuke, learns from it. We remember in chapter 3 how wisdom comes through painful discipline and trials. Author of Hebrews actually cites Proverbs 3 to that end. My son, do not chafe under the discipline of your father, because the Lord, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The discipline is painful, but it is good because it rouses us from our slumber and keeps us from having hearts that become so encrusted, so hardened, that we do not become like the scoffer. The counsel that is given to the wise, the encouragement is, whatever instruction you're given, whatever chastisement, whatever discipline you receive from the Lord's hand, learn from it. Have it reorient your present 
disposition to the Lord. We all know what it's like to have wandering hearts, even as believers. Our hearts are so prone to wonder, as the old hymn goes. Lord, we feel it. The Lord's discipline comes to rouse us from that slumber that we might be awakened and made alert to the dangerous path that we have set upon before it is too late. It is a facet of God's love, and it is wisdom to heed the counsel of the Almighty and to fear what He says. And that is why we are brought right back here at the end of Proverbs where we began. Proverbs chapter 1. But the beginning of wisdom is found not in getting a college degree. It is not found in passing your SATs or your LSATs or the bar exam. Having enough street cred to make your way around town. True wisdom is found in fearing the Lord. It is a moral orientation more than it is the practice of academic philosophication. Philosophication is not a word, but it's okay. How interesting it is that this opening introductory section to Proverbs, Proverbs chapters 1 to 9, both begins and ends with the same thing. The beginning of wisdom is found with the fear of the Lord. And that is what these opening chapters are instilling in us. What does it look like to fear the Lord? Charles Bridges, in commenting on this uh, uh, chapter, says this, if this temper, the, the, the temper or disposition of fearing the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom... It is also, as the word imports, the head of wisdom. In other words, when what he is saying is when when Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that word there, beginning, can mean first, or it can also mean kind of the foundation. Charles Bridges, the point he is making is the point here is it is both. Here is the inception point of getting wisdom is learning what it means to fear the Lord, and it really is the foundation upon which one builds one's entire life. It is building one's life on a foundation of rock rather than sand. And here, wisdom reminds us that we will be held personally accountable for our actions. If you look there in verse 12, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself, Um, but if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Path is set out before you. Which one will you choose? It's your choice. But know that you will suffer the consequences if you choose poorly. Kind of reminded the end of Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade when the, the Grail Knight says it to was it Donovan. He chose poorly. And he dies as a result of his poor choice. Here the offer is set before the invitees. Which banquet are you going to attend? The wise man will get wise to his situation and will attend the banquet of Lady Wisdom. But the fool and the scoffer will scorn it 
and go to the other party that is located just down the street. And that leads us here to our final section, verses 13 to 18. Here, what we find is a cheap knockoff of the real deal. Notice how similar Dame Folly's invitation sounds to the invitation of Lady Wisdom. Look at verse 4. Lady Wisdom calls from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Now look at verse um, 16. (coughs) Dame Folly says almost the exact same thing. Whoever is simple, let him turn this way. To him who lacks sense, she says, not come and drink the water and, or the wine I have prepared for you. Rather, she says, stolen water is sweet. She masks her invitation as a cheap knockoff of Lady Wisdom, yet embedded in the thing she promises is a poison that will kill the soul. Just like Lady Wisdom, she calls out to all who pass by, and yet her call is not beautiful. It's boisterous. Dame Folly is described as being loud and obnoxious in verse 13. One who is a seductress and knows nothing. She's not wise. She is a fool, and she calls for others to join her in her folly. Unlike Lady Wisdom, who had built her house, who had hewn these seven pillars, uh, who had made preparations for a fancy banquet with the tables and the servants, Folly has none of these things. No grand home, she's just sitting in a doorway. No ornate preparations, no maidservants. No beauty, it is only her and the company of the dead. You see that there in verse 18. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. Wisdom's feast grants life, yet folly's feast will cost you your very life if you partake. Just as Lady Wisdom gives a free offer to whoever will pass by and heed her call, so too does Dame Folly call out to whoever would turn into her doors. And yet Dame Folly here is described as the primeval woo girl, this kind of boisterous sorority sister who who scandalizes all who pass by her door, who who tries to seduce and lure away those from the proper, proper path. She calls out quite literally those seeking to make their paths straight. Again, one hears the echoes of Isaiah writing later, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And it says here, she calls out to those who are seeking to make their path straight. She addresses them, and I think that's a warning that Solomon gives to the church even today. That there is a perennial temptation uh, even to believers where folly continues to try to lure us away from the proper path, from the straight and narrow. Again, Charles Bridges commenting on this particular chapter says, sin is no less earnest, sin is no less earnest to destroy than wisdom is to save. Just as much as wisdom seeks to save any would turn to her, so folly is seeking to turn to destruction 
anyone who she can grasp in her seductive claws. Whereas Lady Wisdom is offering what, is to, what really looks like a wedding banquet, rather than a wedding banquet, Dame Folly offers illicit sex. Notice what she says here in verse 16. I'm sorry, 17. Stolen water is sweet. What is it that we saw in Proverbs chapter 5? The exhortation that Solomon gives to his own son? Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth." One almost wonders whether or not there's an echo of 2 Samuel 11 in the mix. If you recall, David, who's sitting out on top his top porch one night, one late afternoon, looks out and sees another woman bathing. Stolen waters becomes the imagery of adultery. I think it is a very vivid metaphor that does not scandalize, but lets us all recognize what it is that's going on. Just as wisdom has already called out, drink water from your own cistern here, Dame Folly in this chapter is going, ah, stolen water is so much better. It's so much sweeter. And yet what we've seen for three chapters, chapters 5 to 7, is this emphasis that adultery and prostitution is the path to death and hell. Folly's cry and invitation is seductive, and yet it is a poison. And what we have set before us are two rival banquets, two rival feasts, two tables. And the question that is set before us in this chapter is which one will you choose? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus begins to speak a parable to his disciples and those who would listen and says this, that the kingdom of heaven might be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. They chose the path of folly. And again, he sent other servants saying to all who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Isn't it interesting that our Savior tells a parable using the imagery that we see here in this particular proverb? He appropriates wisdom from Proverbs 9 and reminds us that true wisdom is found in fearing the Lord. And in light of Christ, true wisdom is found in heeding the gospel call and turning to the one who is wisdom incarnate. As he says to me, John chapter 7, as he, as he says to us all, not just to me, he says it to you too, come to me, drink. 
the fountain of life. Rivers of living water will flow forth from your belly. Consider what feast there is spread before you, a feast of rich food, of well-aged wine that is spread where death is swallowed up forever. As Isaiah writes in chapter 25, what a reminder we have of that consummate wedding feast, even in the Lord's Supper. Just as two tables are set out before uh, the invitees, in Proverbs 9, so also Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, reminds them that they too have two different tables set before them. You've got the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, which will it be? It, you can't have both. You can't attend both parties. Which banquet will you attend? The banquet of the wise or the feast of fools? The moment has come to decide, will you be wise unto yourself and turn and live? Or will you bear the consequences of scoffing the gospel call and rebuffing the cry of your Savior to turn to Him and find life? Again, quoting Charles Bridges, The voice of mercy now warns thee against estranging thyself from thy God. But mercy is limited to time, for justice without mercy will hold the scales with relentless severity, and the sentence of condemnation will bind thee in the lost and blasted kingdom of eternal death. What then is our heart's desire and prayer but that the free grace and love of the gospel may draw and fix thine heart, and that the Lord may preserve thee from the tempter's snare by keeping thee closely walking with Himself. Turn to wisdom, for in by keeping wisdom, wisdom will keep you. For by in fearing the Lord, he who neither slumbers nor sleeps, he who is the guardian and keeper of Israel, will keep you safe from all harm. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that You would use Your Word uh, to uh, rouse us from our slumber, to remind us of uh, the, the path that is laid out before us and that we would choose with wisdom to heed the call and partake in the Messianic banquet through faith in Christ as we look forward to that last day when we will feast with our Savior in heaven. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.